The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Stocks do look to steady this morning after a four-day loss, the longest in nearly three months amid the ongoing growth concerns related to the pandemic. More importantly, though, today is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And all morning long, we are going to honor the lives lost that day. We're going to remember the heroes who responded and reflect on the impact on the community, of course, and the nation. Uh, Jim, the phrase is never forget. And we're going to work hard to make sure that we don't. Yeah, I, I think that it's imperative upon people to remember that there's a whole generation now of young people don't know it. Uh, there's a fantastic museum which shows you what the world was like the minute before and then after. I don't know how to create a mass pilgrimage to that, me- to that museum. But, you know, David, look, when you think about your kids, where were they when it happened? The answer is... They weren't on this planet. Yeah, no, they were not. Uh, but the memorial, of course, which uh, we see quite often, given it's very close by, is an incredibly moving remembrance for so many of the people that we lost. I find that uh, I remember when I grew up, my parents, my father would say, listen, Pearl Harbor, you volunteered the day after. The day that live in infamy. This is a day that live in infamy, but I don't know how many people know that the day is infamy. Well, one thing we can do, of course, is go back and look at the uh, video of that morning. Uh, It was a day, of course, in which our uh, past colleague Mark Haynes was anchoring along with uh, Joe and David. Uh, This is the moment when uh, Mark, I believe, was talking to Bill Nygren of Oakmark and had to cut away. Take a look. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you right now. We have a uh, what appears to be a very serious. Is that the World Trade Tower? This is Mark. A plane hit it? They think so. A this is, this is one of the towers of the World Trade Center in Manhattan, which is clearly heavily involved in, in a smoke situation, and one would assume there is fire. It wasn't long after that moment, David, when you started checking in with your sources, having spoken to people who were talking to people in the building. That's right. I got to remember getting a phone call from somebody who had spoken to somebody, I think at Canner, and uh, they said... Uh, we think the pl- uh, plane has hit the building, which, you know, I shared on TV. And soon after, we saw those pictures. But obviously, there was still a great deal of uncertainty at that point. Always remember, of course, it was a magnificent day, very similar to the day we have today. In the meantime, uh, the NYSE here is about to observe a moment of silence uh, commemorating the lives lost on September 11th, 20 years ago tomorrow.
Mark, I heard from somebody um, who spoke to someone in the building. They just called me and they said they were told to evacuate and that they were told that a plane had hit the building. Now, again, this is, I spoke to one of my Wall Street sources who said they had just heard from somebody at a Wall Street firm that has some offices in the building that they were told to evacuate and that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. You know, amazing to think it's 20 years, guys, uh, since uh, I uttered those words, of course. Uh, hard to imagine. Of course, at that moment, we still had no idea, really, what was about to unfold. Um, and I think those were kind of some of the last reporting I did that day. Mark Haynes really took over and was in, incredible during those uh, many hours that followed as we watched the tragedy unfold. I think Mark... I think he saved lives with his calm demeanor because you did have to leave, but you didn't have to panic. And those of us who were downtown, we listened and we said, okay, this is obviously really horrible. Let's do what we can. And I think we always should remember that Haynes was integral to making it so that whatever could happen that day was his part. We will always be grateful to him for his calm, yeah. uh, his, his measured tone, and the way he gave information to people who were desperate for any sign of yes. what was going to happen. We did feel that there would be more planes. We did feel that the buildings couldn't collapse from within. David, remember, you figure, okay, building gets knocked over, park gets knocked over, maybe. so Twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watched Were so gallantly Spangled banner yet wave for the land of the free and the home of the We want to give our thanks to the 69th Infantry Regiment Color Guard uh, and the families of two NYSE members who were killed that day, uh, Thomas Sullivan and Robert Sutcliffe, uh, members of uh, Harvey Young Truman, a Truman who were at a breakfast meeting on Windows of the World uh, and perished. Uh, and as for the calendar the rest of the day, we are going to get um, uh, some moments of silence to follow and then more 
uh, with first responders uh, at the closing bell, 4 o'clock, of course, Eastern time. So we'll, we'll watch all of that. As we uh, pivot from that to the markets in general, Jim, um, what a morning of news regarding the president, this phone call with Xi, uh, more news on the chip shortages, Toyota cuts production. What should we be thinking going into the weekend? I think that the market's focused on Xi. I think what's so interesting about it, first of all, can I just, while we're talking about great people in CBC, Eunice Yu, I mean, she gives this report, and I'm just sitting here thinking, what is she, she's telling the truth in a place where truth is, 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 not, is not really a commodity. And what matters to me is, is that it didn't go well. It did, the call did not go well from the Chinese side. We're hearing intransigence on their side. So, David, I don't know. I mean, the market's just saying, I guess, any talk, even if it's not great, right. is better than what we have. And, uh, but, I mean, I, I, what I've read so far is the statement from the Chinese, which didn't seem to frame it in a negative Well, tone. I mean, it's just, um, you know, you, you didn't hear about follow-up meetings. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that you uh, are faced with a president who is focused more on uh, human rights mm-hmm. than the previous president. And that's something that I think that they're, they most fear is our discussion of their human rights. Yeah, the wires uh, do have some uh, readout information quoting senior officials that the conversation discussed uh, the nation's responsibility to ensure that competition doesn't veer into conflict. Also some backstory on the relationship that Biden and she have together, because at one point they were both VPs, and apparently the discussion harkened back to some of that. Well, look, any I, I, look, I like the two countries talking because I don't think there's anyone in our country that favors the course that we're currently on. Uh, it's a course where it, it has to be, but we're in a collision course if this continues. And I know people who. I don't want to do business with China and want to do business with China, but I don't know a soul who wants a collision course. So I think if we can take off the existential conflict, uh, make it so that it's more difficult for uh, President Xi one day to invade an island near Taiwan, which is probably what would be most likely not an invasion of Taiwan, take that off the table, then I think that people will start saying maybe there's less of a global risk and let's start picking some stocks that are connected with China. Today would seem to be the first day that Oddly, the day after Kathy Wood, two days into the Financial Times piece, where there is a belief that these stocks can bounce because maybe the punishment's over. I don't know. She is a communist, in not in name. Yeah, no, we talk about it every day as we should. Um, talking certainly between the two countries, I think, is viewed more positively than than not. But to your point, right? How much of a collision course? Are we on with China in terms of our vast competition in so many areas around the world uh, and obviously two largest economies? That said, back to the stocks themselves, you can see sort of what the Shanghai Comp has done versus the S&P this year. But, of course, the names we've been focused on are so many of those large-cap Chinese-based companies that have listed here or have very well-traded ADRs in other places, Tencent. But should we focus uh, on property companies and what's I, going I, you on know, internally? But Jim, the question continues to be from the U.S.-based investors who, are, who, who own these, when will it end? Are we at the end? Um, are they done with Didi? Are they done with the gaming companies? Are they done you know, with the cyberspace administration? Is it done sort of with what it expects from them in terms of sharing of information? Uh, unclear. Still yeah. unclear. Well, look, I know that the common prosperity, there isn't. Um, they've got... Uh, who would ever have thought that they have great class divisions in a country that was predicated upon the idea that there were none? So I, I don't feel that, uh, that the billionaire society that they've developed is something that she can live with. Too powerful. 
Billionaire is too powerful. He has to take them out of the equation somehow. They have to disappear. Well, I don't know. He's not disappearing them, but he has taken them, many of them out of the conversation. Well, and it starts with Jack Ma, who was, I would argue, the most powerful voice in the country when it came to business. Right. Being, you know, obviously the man who founded Alibaba. You don't hear from Jack Ma anymore. Well, I don't think you're uh, supposed now, to doesn't hear mean that he's been disappeared. No, no, I, and I know you okay. found him. You were early yeah. in finding him. He's I, there. But, 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 he's but, spending time, you know, creating art and doing various things, but he is not any longer participating nearly at the same level he was in terms of sharing his own views. It began with Ant, didn't it? Well, Shut that was, Ant. yeah, over a year ago, them shutting down, essentially changing the rules of the road when it came to what Ant was able to do and therefore affecting the, the, uh, the ability of the company to earn money the way it was expected to. It was going to be the largest IPO of all time. All time. All time. It, it is amazing the way in which they took a dose of capitalism at a time where there was massive global liquidity right. and huge technological change. And that kind of disrupted their traditional model, Right. They're, the idea that we can be uh, watching them and make decisions about their companies, betting that, well, maybe the uh, raid of the companies is over. I mean, what kind of, what kind of investment strategy is that? You know, look, I, I'm buying some uh, Alibaba, and I happen to think Alibaba's a great company, but I'm buying some Alibaba, I'm betting that she's done. I mean, you know, I'm betting that what? It's hard to do. It's hard yeah. to do. And nobody has an edge on that one. No. No. And look, there are many people who are now telling me, listen, there's going to be pushback from the billionaire class, pushback from the people. I've always felt that she and the military are one. And you don't get a kind of society where there's facial recognition everywhere and you can and everything's tra- uh, tracked. It's going to be very hard to create any sort of any free space, so to speak. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've mentioned this a number of times. The advent of 5G in China in particular was also enabled a surveillance society at an entirely new level. The ability to, frankly, just be able to immediately, through AI as well, identify people um, is enhanced. And they are, by the way, fairly far advanced when it comes to 5G in that country. So what do you do? You just say that you, you, you take it off the equation or if you want to, you just be in some sort of worldwide fund? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, not, I'm still concerned. When we come back, a moment of silence at the NASDAQ this time as we remember 9-11. Live shot of uh, downtown Manhattan today, of course, the Freedom Tower. It is a, uh, a somber morning, a bit of a tough morning. It always is as we remember 9-11, uh, but especially so today uh, as the 20th anniversary of the attacks uh, is tomorrow. Uh, we had a moment of silence here at the NYSC at 9.03. That was the moment that the second plane, uh, UAL-175, hit the second tower. But traditionally, uh, here on the street, moments of silence are at 9.20, and that's where we will turn at the NASDAQ for their own moment of silence right now. Consumers fundamentally pick us because we provide safety and control. When you use a firm, you know you will never be charged a late fee, and that's a something to, uh, to hang your head on. 
feels good to know that your financial partner isn't in the business of betting against you. And that's what gets us the consumer satisfaction we have. That's Max Levchin with Jim last night uh, from a firm talking about the quarter, bigger than expected loss, but revenue surging, yes. pretty good guide. Stock's going to open at a six-month high. And it should. Remember, this is a man who's gotten Walmart, okay, yes, Shopify, which could be a very big deal. But then he picked up Amazon. That's when the stock really went from. It was, the stock had been cratering. Now, what I like about Max, uh, and when you speak to him online or offline, it's not really the same story, which is he, he doesn't like credit cards. He wants to disrupt this industry with technology. He, in particular, wants to go against the cards that charge David interest that is that he finds is usurious. I think a lot of us would feel agree with that. But more importantly, if he succeeds, that if he succeeds, then what do the credit card companies do? Uh, I, I that's a great question. Right. So, what what is the answer? Do they have to move into this? I mean. I keep Do they have to lower their interest rates dramatically? Well, that's what he know. wants. He wants to disrupt, and I think that he is so smart and so dedicated. He is a guerrilla force against the Capital Ones of the world. He and I were talking about how, how many credit cards we had when we got out of school and how we were kind of didn't understand. And he wants to tell college kids about business, kids going to business school even. He says people don't even know anything about the idea that you know you're free. This is the uh, uh, the shackles. He wants to take the shackles. It's very uh, what are the loss ratios like though in this business? What, what are the loss ratios like? Well, is it, he's is very it, low. They're very low. Yeah. There was a report from uh, Credit Karma yesterday that a third of U.S. BNPL consumers are behind on at least one payment. Now, but he, you don't seem too do- bothered by. I some directly of this. asked him about Credit Karma because I happen to like that company very much because it's intuitive. Many of my friends check their credit rating every day. I don't think it really changes day to day, frankly. But I do know that he said that's just not us. Their loss ratio went down. Uh, their technology, he says, is able to figure things out. We mentioned Ant. You know that the Chinese do this kind of technology. They do. So what? It's the it's the AI. It's the algorithms that can exactly right. determine effectively who is more likely to pay on time than not, and Correct. they won't offer the buy now, pay later to those who well, if you miss, don't meet their, if you miss, you're done. Okay. Miss, yes. You're they done. Can okay. Well, yeah, but that's not a great customer for them either. Well, but remember, the merchants want the business. The customers like it. Uh, they are less likely to um, feel had. I mean, he, he's about transparency. By the way, PayPal's about transparency, too. So I think when worlds collide, it'll be PayPal versus a firm. Okay. Uh, maybe Square versus a firm. Now, if you're Jamie Dimon, remember, he gave this great speech about, like, hey, what happened? Why aren't we Square? Right. Why aren't we Square? Right. David, why aren't they? Why? Why aren't they square? It's literally well, they, hip to be square. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he feels like regulation has been one reason, I think. Right. Well, he feels very hamstrung. Yes. Uh, not unlike Charlie Scharf today, although Charlie Scharf only had a $250 million fine yeah. at Wells uh, from the OCC, from the Controller of Currency. Right. A lot of people, the stock fell $20 billion on a $250 million uh, hit, which is why you're going to see Wells up today. And meanwhile, B of A, uh, most sweeping management overhaul in more than a decade, new CFO, a new general counsel, uh, new tech chiefs. As Moynihan is consolidating some power, it seems. Uh, we in that sp- job a long time already. Yeah. He has. Yeah. But remember, he came up from the ranks uh, he as well, a lawyer. He was, he was a lawyer. Counsel. Uh, but uh, one of the things, when you speak about yeah. what banks are doing the most to advance the social agenda, it's always Brian. The social agenda meaning empowering people. And I think that we don't expect any of the banks that are listed there to be forces of good, so to speak. That's just not true. But the fact is, David... When they lend, they charge. Okay, right. They have been um, 
They're the man. Versus firm, square, PayPal. They're the man. Remember the man? Uh, yes. The man? Stick it to the man. Yes. Yes. And that's what backslash well, is about. The market Sticking kind it of to the man. I mean, PayPal has a much larger market value than pretty much any of them except for J.P. Morgan. So PayPal's a worldwide bank. There you go. Yeah. And it's uh, Dan Schulman has built a powerhouse. They've got buy now, pay later. David, when worlds collide, with Emmanuel Velikovsky, you're probably familiar with that text. Of course. When worlds collide here, it is not going to be J.P. Morgan versus PayPal. Uh, speaking of uh, sticking it to the man, one of the trending topics on Twitter last night was hashtag do not comply in response to the White House's uh, mandate of either vaccines or testing. As we're now in a period, Jim, where business is going to wrestle with whether this is legal, logistically sound, going to cost too much. Uh, what, where are we? on? I, I read a great book, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, it's just an interesting book about society in our country. And uh, that's well, J.D. Vance. He's running. Although he, he, yeah, he's, he is he's the most prominent. What, right. J.D. He, Vance. You're he's basically about. saying he wants civil disobedience, not yes. unlike, say, Gandhi. Gandhi, too, he's back and bigger than ever. I mean, what are we going to do here? I, I, I don't know. You know. I don't know. Well, civil disobedience um, about... Dr. He's running Gottlieb. for Senate, of course, yeah. the gentleman who wrote that book. Right. Yeah. Dr. Gottlieb's talking about the right to be able to give other people COVID, and maybe that shouldn't be in the Constitution, and it isn't. That's a kind of a loose, loose view about what he's saying. Dr. But. Gottlieb also on Squawk Box, because we always listen closely, did bring up the idea that mandating uh, vaccinations for businesses with 100-plus people is going to be very difficult, uh, at least in any quick time, given the rulemaking that has to take place at OSHA, the challenges he expects that are likely. He talked about fall but, of next year. But OSHA! Which by then, the Delta variant, we certainly hope, will be a thing uh, of the past. But new variants coming up. Uh, I keep thinking about Tom Brady and how he got it, and the vaccination rate at the team that won last night is the highest, and that the second, the team that lost actually had some COVID <laughs> that may right. have affected it and impacted the game. That's right, that's right. There's the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board, as we noted a moment ago, are the families of two New York Stock Exchange members, Thomas Sullivan and Robert Sutcliffe, who died in the World Trade Center attack on 9-11. At the NASDAQ, it's Tuesday's children helping families forever changed by terrorism, military conflict, or mass violence. Uh, it is going to be interesting, uh, as we keep an eye on this, is also the doubling of fines for those who don't mask on uh, transportation, uh, TSA fines. It's a multiple, uh, uh, really multiple-pronged effect to try to get it so the 80 million, the intransigent 80 million, do something. Now, I've got to tell you, when I spoke to Cleveland Cliffs, they were from $1,500 to employees, where they had about 30, 40 fax rate. Uh, the second large steel company, uh, then they've got, they jumped to 75. But remember, David, that means 25 didn't take the 1,500. And I think that that 25 is the group that just isn't going. Although, so, well, some try to argue, all right, there is hesitancy, but if there's, if there's a mandate, they can throw up their hands and tell their neighbors, look, I didn't want to do it, but the job says I have to. But the Florida, Maybe that makes a turn. Uh, Dr. Topol, whom I regard as being another true North figure besides Dr. Gottlieb, he, he, he's talking about the Florida death rate, which you remember how people said, well, the death rate isn't going up. The Florida death rate is, is, is bad and worse than it was during the heyday. The heyday, don't mean that. But it's right. interesting because the states where that are having the worst outbreak are also the most open. I mean, here still in many of the uh, northeast states, you still have constriction to a certain extent. You have people not coming to the office at the very least, right? We know that. 
You're still talking 15 percent in a lot of offices, 20 percent. Well, I think there are um, a lot of people. And so, I, I, you know, Microsoft yesterday uh, on your show, yeah. Nadella talking about no, no date now for when we expect people What's to return. I know. Um, And it's just interesting because these states typically have very high rates of vaccination at this point, fairly low rates of new cases and hospitalizations, and yet they're more shut down in some ways than the states that are suffering from a greater outbreak. Well, given that 99% of the people who are hospitalized are people who are unvaccinated, at what point do we just say, you know what? I'm going for it. Move Forget on. about it. I'm vaccinated. I got three Moderna books. Got it under the wire before the CDC. Why not now? Those crafty. Why not now? What? Why not move on now? I am moving on. That's actually a really good point. J.P. Morgan looked at how Delta has affected economies that have good vaccination rates, but still rising cases. And consumer sentiment aside, activity continues. Like you know, the Google Activity Index. Absolutely. And what's what's the problem is supply. Right. Right. And manufacturing Toyota's production cut today. Right. And PVC is in short supply because of Hurricane Ida. Uh, David, Yuri and Ida. Now, there's a pair. Yes. They they changed the complexion of plastic in the country. And plastic is a basic building block. I'm speaking about two storms. Now, this kind of rally today, the great relief rally, the issue will be, can it stay? We seem to have uh, these moments during the day where we say, you know what, I'm I'm closing my book. I'm going to shorten up. Uh, and I think we got to stay very close to these offerings. Like, for instance, Bumble. Bumble offered 18 million shares. That's a, well, you wouldn't know. I know what Bumble oh, is. You do? Yes, oh, yes I do. Yes, okay, I remember 18, when it went public. 18 million shares of 54. That's one you want to watch. Can they hold that rate? Right. We're seeing there's a little alpha called Impel that I like very much. That stock had jumped to, 20, to 23. They priced a deal at 15. When These you start are so-called seeing, follow-on offerings, I think is the right way to exactly, put it. Exactly, not secondary. when we say secondary is actually an outside, somebody who already owns the shares selling a large block typically. Um, in this case, it's the company as the seller raising more capital, but it's follow-on offering. It's obviously potentially uh, it's dilutive. Well, what we, what we need to see today is we need to see the drug stocks. Really, you know, there's been millions of biotech deals. Right. Um, stop the decline that came from something that we, it was left field, which is the uh, price rollback and the ability for Medicare to be able to argue for prices. And what, suddenly what you have is a situation where you, there was a group that you were kind of warming up to, uh, the drug stocks, and now there's a de-warming going on, you know, kind of a global warming, global de-warming. I thought you said deworming, de-worming. like ivermectin. Yes, I, was like, I, I like thought that. so too. Dean like, We're talking about uh, ivermectin now. I'm talking about Dean Wormer and uh, Dean Wormer from Faber College, of course. That's another worm. Your son's in Faber. He's second year at Faber. First year was off campus, right? No, no, he was on campus, fully on campus. Really? Yeah, so yeah, Faber was on campus. Yes, he's he's that. having a great time at Faber College. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I hope he has an asynchronous <laughs> time. I'll Look, play. we're making jokes, but I do think that what a guy came back from Europe where they have the Green Pass. Now, that is something where business has you, you go for any store and they ask you for your pass. Can you imagine in our country the level of anger yep. that would be generated if someone had to show a pass to get an ice cream? That were uh, individual freedom is a yes. cornerstone of what our country is built upon. Um Inflation is a really interesting story today. Whoa. I see Freeport gets cut over at Credit Suisse. They say inflation support's going to wane. It's one of the leaders on the S&P oh, this morning. Is that PPI re- talking? That's a rebellion yeah. against uh, the analyst, who I think is uh, stock was at 46. Maybe that was a better place to, to, to cut it. Uh, 
There are some genuine misses today. Uh, one that I'm actually kind of bummed about is because I would say it's just a mismatch. Uh, Strauss Zelnick can take two. Uh, Grand, Theft, Grand Theft Auto, the new iteration, he will produce no uh, uh, no game before its time. Uh, he's sticking by his his numbers, but this group has been uniquely challenged. The video games have been maybe the most, other than Zoom, pandemically identified stocks. You don't think it's she limiting gaming time for well, kids? Well, I mean, yeah. look, NBA 2K is very big in China. I think that, yes, the overhang of she, very hard to figure out whether it isn't, say, maybe a Roblox where people make games. And Roblox has been a good stock. To remind people, it's three hours a week if you're under 18. And it. only one hour a day, Friday, but, Saturday, but Sunday. David, would you tell me that they actually know the number of hours? I think they might be able to figure <laughs> it out. They are, they're relying on the companies to make sure of it, and the and, companies and, do know. And every call, Shut you them should down. presume, if you call China, you should presume that you're being listened to. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah. Fair statement. That's why you bring a burner phone. You go. We need the wire. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the topics we talked about earlier in the week, that is... Um, uh, Coinbase, Gensler, oh. going to go to Senate Banking on Tuesday. Yeah, well, he's going to get schooled by uh, Coinbase people. Uh, that was, again, I think that was one of the most ill-advised. I did say it was not moronic, it was just stupid. You do not challenge the agency. You just don't. David, the agency is part of the federal government. I'm aware. I'm aware. Well, you don't. Imagine Charlie Sharp said to the Office of Controller of the Currency, I'm not paying that $250 million. I, I get let it. Me, let and me you, come down there and explain. You've been the outspoken way. on what you believe was a. Uh, outspoken? I'm not even started yet. You haven't even started? Okay. Well, no. You, you clearly believe it was a mistake for them to speak publicly and, and chastise well, no, the it, SEC it, it, for what well, they feel is a lack of clarity in terms of what the rulemaking and what's actually being done in terms of whether or not. It, it goes back to lending, right? And yeah, securities. Well, what's and, a security? Right. When you write that uh, there's some sketchy things going with Chairman Gensler. the CEO of Coinbase. He's did. a chairman of the Securities Exchange Commission. He's, he's a kind of a hallowed institution. He, yeah. And he, they, can, they can make your business more difficult. You know, he taught crypto at MIT. So when I hear someone say that he needs to be schooled, I question what school they're from. I see that from the squid. They went to Faber College. <laughs> Knowledge is good, man. Yo, that yeah. did, otters? You, for, you give you me otter speech? Knowledge is good. <laughs> Uh, S&P is hanging on to a gain of about 18. If it were to fall today, that Tell would be five, five down in a row. We haven't done that since February. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Well, Carl, of course, I'm thinking about tomorrow. It's been a difficult week for all of us. And as we look back and remember friends and family who died on 9-11, we also remember the day the markets reopened. That was September 17th. The heroes who rang the opening bell on that day and the struggle of those who worked downtown in the aftermath. There were very deep psychological scars on all of us who worked downtown that only gradually emerged. Everyone, everyone down here had a friend or family member who had died. There was also the grim reality of working downtown in the aftermath. The financial district had morphed into a partly closed armed camp. It was almost impossible to cross Canal Street, the dividing line between Soho Chinatown and the financial district, unless you were a resident or worked at the NYSE or on Wall Street. Police were everywhere, on every corner, and nobody knew if there was going to be another attack coming. There was, above all, the smoldering pit of the World Trade Center. The smoke would not disappear for more than a year, and it could be seen for miles around. The worst was the smell, the acrid odor of still burning paper 
office furniture and building materials. Some on Wall Street decided to leave the business, but many, in fact, the majority actually stayed. Some firms did relocate. I joined the Buddhist Meditation Center and learned how to meditate. It taught me that the world was ever-changing and to stop fighting the things that I didn't like that had happened and concentrate on what I could control, my own thoughts. It calmed me down, and I still meditate. As for the markets, they stayed closed for four days. It was the longest shutdown since the Great Depression. The day the markets reopened, that was September 17th, two minutes of silence were observed on the floor. Members of the New York City police and fire departments representing the heroes of 9-11 sang God bless America. And then the police and the firefighters, along with Senators Hillary Rodham Clinton and Charles Schumer, Mayor Rudy Giuliani, New York Governor George Pataki and SEC Chairman Harvey Pitt all rang the opening bell together that day was not a good one for the markets. The Dow dropped 5%. The S&P 500 dropped 7%. But nobody cared. What was important was that the market was open again. The 9-11 disaster helped push the U.S. economy into a recession. The stock market went into a slow tailspin and didn't bottom until October of 2002. But the one thing that I remember very clearly was that everyone came to work on that day. And speaking of coming to work, my dear friend and mentor, Art Cashin, is back with us on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and he'll be giving us his perspective at 10.15 Eastern time. Carl, back to you. It's going to be good to see Art in person again, Bob. Uh, thanks, Bob Pisani. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Don Carty as well. He was CEO of American Airlines uh, AMR 20 years ago on September 11th. First, though, the bond report. We'll keep an eye on how treasuries are faring. PPI did come in up 8.3 year on year. That's the biggest since November of 2010. In the meantime, Dow's up 139. We'll be right back. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Although commercial flights continued within days of the attacks, 9-11 redefined flying as we know it today. Joining us now is Don Carter. He's the former CEO of American Airlines, of course, parent AMR Corporation. Don, great to have you this morning. Uh, you were running the airline on that horrible day uh, when planes were used as missiles. So much has changed. But give me your reflections. 
20 years uh, later, uh, when you think about uh, both that day and obviously the changes that have taken place so significantly in the industry of which you were an important part? Well, thanks, David. And it's great to be on, on the show. And it's, it's good to be part of this remembrance of what was a really somber and difficult time for all of us as Americans. But for those of us at, at American Airlines, it, it was really personal. We, we lost some really wonderful teammates as part of this terrible event. And uh, uh, my day started actually that morning uh, when one of our flight attendants, uh, Betty Ong, who died on Flight 11, uh, called our ops center and our operations center immediately called me. So this was probably about 8.30 in the morning. The, the hijacking was already underway. And I was informed that, that, uh, that we, we believe there was a hijacking underway. And of course, we have, we have a protocol for those kind of calls to make sure that they're real. And I asked the team whether they followed the protocol. And they said, yes, they had. And they were pretty certain it was a hijacking. Um, and uh, they went on to describe what Betty had already told them, which was uh, and a couple of flight attendants had been stabbed and, and, and somebody killed uh, and that the cockpit had been breached. Um, and so, of course, uh, we were terribly concerned. We still had no idea what the hijackers had intended. But uh, I literally got off the phone uh, quickly, telling the ops center I'd be in the office in 20 minutes. Um, and as I... Uh, finished my final preparations to leave the house, over my shoulder uh, on the TV, uh, somebody announced that a small plane had flown into the World Trade Center because you, you may recall that was the first report. There was, there was a small airplane. Um, and my wife said to me, oh, my God, is that your airplane? And I said, I, I, and I knew in my gut that it was. And I said, no, it couldn't be. Yeah. And... I felt like if I said no, that it wouldn't be true, but of course it was. Uh, and then within 20 minutes, I had I had a call from Jim Godwin, who was the, uh, running United at the time, that he was missing an airplane. Uh, then I had a call from our ops center that we were missing a second airplane. Another call from Godwin saying he was missing a second airplane and that his security people had, had heard rumors that it might be more than four airplanes. And then I even got a call from our ops center that said the transponder on a third one of our airplanes had been turned off. So we thought we had a third airplane. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, that, that was simply uh, an error by a pilot who inadvertently turned off the transponder for a couple of minutes. But, you know, it, we, by that time, it was, you know, we were all, uh, the adrenaline was pumping. We were all terribly, terribly Concerned. I got to the ops center, did a debrief with the senior guys for two minutes, and then I told them we were going to ground the American Airlines fleet. And I called the FAA administrator, and I told her we were grounding the American fleet, and I thought she should ground the, the, um, uh, the entire uh, U.S. fleet. And she said, well, she hadn't been able to reach the Secretary of Transportation, and I hadn't been able to reach him either. So I said, well, I'm afraid this one's in your hands. And... Uh, she did. She made, she made the decision almost instantaneously and grounded all the airplanes in the U.S. fleet. So uh, that, that was the beginning of a, uh, a crazy day uh, and, and followed by an awful lot of craziness around uh, putting, the, putting the airline back in the air uh, days later. And, and that was a tough thing. You know, I, I, was, I was listening to the comments about people going back to Wall Street. Uh, with some fear and trepidation. Well, well, our employees had that same fear and trepidation. 
And the thing I remember so clearly was the strength and the resilience of the American Airlines team in their willingness to go back and put the airline in the air in spite of that fear and trepidation. Wow. Um, Don, I, as to, it's as a, to the changes, it's an amazing. Occurred, they, they've been monumental. I mean, they've been monumental yeah. on, the, on the security side. Listening to you tell the story, which I'm sure you've told many times, is it's like a it's like a punch in the gut, even after all these years. I do wonder um, the creation of DHS and specifically TSA, how you would judge them and their ability to bring security back to air travel for the past 20 years. Would you give them a fairly good grade? I mean, just their Twitter feed alone and the number of weapons that they collect on a daily basis is it's still stunning to this day. It, it, it is stunning, and, and while we had a lot of fits and starts at the beginning because they weren't equipped for man to do this initially. In fact, I can remember at 3 o'clock in the morning before we put the airline back in the air, they were still trying to write new rules and procedures, and I kept saying to them, you know, you guys do understand that 100,000 airline employees are coming back to work tomorrow, and no matter what you write tonight, they won't know what it is. And, uh, there were, uh, and, and then I can remember a debate again at 3 o'clock in the morning about whether or not the, the uh, size of a pocket knife that people were permitted to take on airplanes should be reduced from 4 inches to 1 inch or whether we should just eliminate knives altogether. And I said, I said to them, you, know, you people do know that you know, when we get up in the air and the door is closed and ready to go, the first thing we do is we give everybody a knife. And, of course, that, that, that was the advent of plastic knives. Um, so I, I would say this, that there were a lot of fits and starts, a lot of tough uh, decisions, a lot of probably dumb decisions. But over time, uh, I think they have marshaled an incredibly robust security system for the airlines. Uh, that doesn't mean it's foolproof. We, we know that. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, there, there's no question that what happened on 9-11 uh, would be very unlikely to ever occur again, given the security that's there. And, and, and by the way, given the, the security that we've, we've put into the airplanes in terms of the cockpit door, I mean, it can't be breached anymore. Well, uh, Don, Jim Cramer, it is always great to see you on the show. Don, one of the things that I think people don't seem to understand is, is that the comeback. Uh, people keep thinking, you know what, after 9-11, I remember people said, oh, no one will ever fly. Uh, after plane crash, uh, Boeing, that no one will ever fly. Uh, now we have it with COVID, uh, no one will fly. Is, isn't uh, air travel more resilient than people realize? I, I think it is, Jim. I think you're making a very good point. People want to travel. So I, I think leisure travel, which has been stifled now for an extended period of time, there's just an enormous backlog of demand, and we're going to see it as people get more and more comfort, comfortable with the world we're living in. Business travel, probably a slightly different uh, uh, thing. I, I think there, there's going to initially be a, a good groundswell of business travel as well because people haven't seen customers or been with uh, suppliers uh, for a long period of time, and they're going to want to reconnect in person. But I think the frequency of those kinds of business meetings is going to go down. Uh, the use of Zoom, the use of uh, all of these technologies uh, have de been demonstrated to be effective. And I think, um, I think businesses are going to realize uh, the benefit, both in terms of their employees' time and, and travel expense, uh, it is certainly going to affect long-term business travel. So I, I, I do think leisure travel will be strong. 
business travel will be initially strong and then may soften a little bit. Yeah, Don, it's an issue we talk about a lot here, of course, when we talk about the long-term viability uh, and profitability of the airlines. Appreciate your sharing that insight. Obviously, all of your insights uh, from uh, the last uh, 20 years and 20 years ago, uh, tomorrow at least, to the day. Don Cardi, thank you. Thanks very much. Good to be with you. Meantime, tonight on CNBC, be sure to watch a special edition of the news with Shepard Smith as America remembers 9-11 20 years later. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Jim, what's tonight? Well, first, I just to say Don Cardi, always straight shooter, but he really did say business travel, not coming back after initial. He had a very, I think, a very straightforward take there, saying there will be a surge, but then over a period of time, this is what we've discussed so many know, times. This is will big... there be as many trips? It's hard to imagine there will be no, when think... people can effectively do so many of the things that they thought they could only do in person via Zoom and or other things, which, by the way, are only becoming more robust. The world's changed. Don Cardi, thank you. We'll do a quick break and we'll find out what's coming up on Madden in a moment. Don't go away. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. See what's coming up on a Friday edition of MAD? RH has been an amazing stock. That's the old restoration hardware. And I think that we talked to Gary Freeman. You see why that stock's been red hot. Then Avnet. Uh, why am I Avnet a big distributor of semis? Because as you mentioned today with Toyota, 300,000, we've got to find out what the supply shortage is about. We've got to find the semiconductor shortage. What is going on? A lot of people think this is too opaque. I'm going to try to explain. That'd be great. Thank we, you. We could use it. We'll see you tonight. Uh, MAD Money, of course, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step. But having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.